You are listening to the Religica Theo Lab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. I'm Michael Reitrice with the Religica Theo Lab, and today we have the real pleasure of speaking with Professor Michael Murphy, who is the Director of Catholic Studies and the Director of Loyola's Hank Center for Catholic Intellectual Heritage at Loyola University, Chicago. Dr. Murphy earned his doctorate in theology and literature and philosophy from the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, and his research interests are in theology and literature and sacramental theology and in the sociopolitical cultures of Catholicism. But he also writes about issues in eco-theology and social ethics, and is the senior lecturer in the theology department at Loyola University in Chicago. Dr. Murphy is a National Endowment for the Humanities Fellow, and his first book, A Theology of Criticism from Oxford, was named as a distinguished publication in 2008 by the American Academy of Religion. We are in good hands with you on this conversation, Dr. Murphy, around Laudato C. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Michael, it's uh, what a pleasure. And thanks for that generous introduction. I can't think of anything better than to have a Friday afternoon and conversation on these topics. So thanks again for having me. Well, it's, uh, it's our pleasure. And we decided to talk about Laudato Si or the document on care for our common home, this new appeal from Pope Francis, I should say from 2015. So it's five years old, but and so far as it addresses every person living on the planet for an inclusive dialogue about how we're shaping the future of our planet, it just felt right that we would get your wisdom on this. So maybe we could start here. What is an encyclical and why do these matter to Catholics? And in fact, as this encyclical intends to the world? Good question. So the, an encyclical is a letter from, well, in Catholic circles, from the Pope to the brother bishops kind of originally. But the word is, implies that it cycles around so that you have kind of a, a person's thought on something. It has a major gravity. It's, one of the, it's probably the most important letter a Pope will write. So it has that long tradition, and it really seeks to distill thinking with the church. So that's basically what this letter is. There's always this idea of thinking with the church. Now, with the pope and the bishops, there's always this it's very much a hierarchy in the old way, a top-down. But hierarchy in the church is not meant to be top-down, even though it almost wrote the book on it. Pope Francis wants an inverted pyramid. So what, he's done, what he does with his approach to these important letters is to write them to all people of goodwill. So that's where we start. Pope John XXIII did that too with Pacham and Terrace in 1963, I think. A letter for people, all people of goodwill, more than the bishops. But then Pope Francis is kind of retrieving that important global citizen approach as well. What you said about turning the pyramid upside down, this sense of readability for all people of goodwill means that it seems to my mind that an encyclical such as Laudato Si it's written for both hope and resolve. It's looking for a common human future with a kind of candor and humility uh, for the readers so they know it's divided into six chapters, which together provide a kind of thorough analysis of human life and the three intertwined relationships so important to Catholic social thinking, relationship with God, with one's neighbor, and with the earth. Okay, what is at the heart of Laudato Si in that inverted pyramid that the Pope wants us to know about? Well, that's a great question. It does have these themes he's hitting, but at the center of it is gratitude for the gift. 
And the gratitude for the gift is there's also a, an anthropology or a psychology there that says, oh, thank you, God, for giving me something. It's thank you, God, creator, for giving us something, right? So the subtext of caring for our common home. So there's a whole common good ethic built there that what are the things that humans hold in common? Well, surely care of the planet and its creatures and hopefully passing it on no worse than you've received it so things like that. But like, so the center of this is a prayer. And that's why, you know, Pope Francis's namesake is St. Francis. And St. Francis as kind of that siblinghood of creation theology is really important to Pope Francis's spirit to write this thing. So I would say that's at the center of it. But then there's all kinds of really interesting technical knowledge, scientific knowledge. You get the Catholic thinking, which, you know, the, the proudest part of being a Catholic thinking in the best way is it's faith and reason and justice tradition. So you're going to have first-class science, first-class ethics as part of this poem too. So there's a lot there. This emphasis on the plural, on the we that you're describing, which includes the church, the entire Catholic community, all other ecclesial communities. But this appeal also to our general sensibility in the world. Is this a document, is a kind of living letter that's seeking transformation of the plural we, of all of society, but also a kind of transformation of the heart, like a waking up? And what are we meant to be waking up to, if that's the case? Or how would you describe it? Yes, I think you're on the money here, Michael. I think with someone like Pope Francis, you know, he's not alone here, but his particular background meets this crisis in a very innovative and authentic way. So he's a Jesuit by training, Ignatian spirituality. This kind of spirituality is all about a transformative, to be ever ready for transformation being drawn nearer into freedom and service. And there's much more there. So when, when he thinks about it, and he thinks about what the deepest desire of our heart would be, another Ignatian kind of slogan, but, you know, value. It is this invitation to say, where are the prescriptions on freedom? Where are the places where there are inordinate attachments, toxic arrangements? And what could I do in walking shoulder to shoulder with other people to uh, make something for the greater glory of God, right? That's the kind of chivalric approach. But with Francis, it's for the, the common and public good as an act of gratitude for the gift that God gives us. So it really fits his eye in lots of ways. That sense of gratitude or transformation, the language he uses is one of a kind of integrated ecology, right? The sense of our internal well-being is sinewed with a sense of self-reflective awareness on the one hand, but also with a genuine appreciation for everything around us and a, a connectivity there as well. It strikes me this is a pope with a high emotional IQ, among other things. How would you describe what he wants or what he's seeing there pastorally, maybe about this sinewed way in which the transformation has layers to it, doesn't it? Is that what he's anticipating? Yeah, he is, because he knows that the famous line is that everything is connected. We know that Pope Francis is not the first one to say that. Anybody who has a chance to stop and see and contemplate will see the wonderful connections between patterns in tree bark to cell structure to views of the earth from space. There's just something amazingly connected in that rhythmic way. So Pope Francis sees that. And so that's going to be a move to say, okay, knowledge is integrated. If you look at the disciplines, if you look at the approach to knowledge that Jesuit universities practice, but going way back and other cultures too, is to see that 
Nothing stands alone in a silo. We need to have conversation with one another. So that's going to be the intellectual approach. But it's more than that. There's a poetry of relationship, of face-to-face encounter, the authenticity of, of encounter. And that means in the scientific community, talking to the ethical community. So that's just the way we do things. So integral ecology, again, that's a term in the encyclical. That's not his term either. That has a life to another scientific communities. But he's going to kind of appropriate that and the, you know share that in the best possible way to remind Catholics and others of the necessity and the intellectual credibility, the mandate to think in interconnected ways. You know, what you've just described also strikes me as being the very qualities or, or features in a public discourse, which includes the role of all these disciplines from science to you know, theological ethics, moral theology, literature, and more. And that there seems to be a, an acknowledgement of a kind of a lack, maybe even a kind of nutritional lack that's so essential to a shared commons today, which requires these features, a sense of relative trust, of interconnectivity between disciplines and people. What do you think we in society have to acknowledge, or this letter is asking us to acknowledge, perhaps about what's missing, what's lacking in our collective commons today? How would you describe that? That's a wonderful question. And I just I can go several ways. I would say for some reason in the West, maybe, that the theological discourse in the public square is under some attack. And that's for good reason. There, there are some juvenile, sham, agenda-driven approaches, maybe some dim, theologically suspect. But to have that voice out of the public square is a real gap because it's part of our being. Humans are religious. We have the religious dimension. We need to believe in things. We seek ultimate meaning. So number one, Pope Francis inhabits that square the way it should be inhabited. He's open, you know, he's an ambassador for a retrieval of theology. We have public theology in this country, you know, cover of time, the neighbors, John Courtney Murray. This is part of our discourse 50, 80 years ago. We don't have that so much anymore. So Pope Francis brings that back. And he's coming in through, though, through a, a place to meet people in the commons, as you say, that are shared common home. So when we can kind of begin there together, we can find each other again and work together. So I think he brings something decisively different, Michael. And I remember going when I was younger to these climate change conferences and people would be so down in the mouth because the science is in and you'd feel like there's no hope. And I feel like Carrie Fisher in Star Wars saying, help me, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, sent somebody. But then here comes Pope Francis, right? So, but Pope Francis, you know, he brings something, and not because he's got any magic stick, but he's invigorated the conversation with a sense of hope. And that's what this letter really brought in 2015. And it still brings it, you know, we're still unpacking this thing. And more to say too about integral ecology, but I'll stop there. And one of the things that I find interesting in this particular encyclical is that the emphasis upon hope assumes that we must first somehow acknowledge a kind of distortion. And maybe it's a lack of connection. You know, maybe part of the distortion we have to acknowledge is that is that the world that we're inhabiting and ourselves in it is not reducible simply to the kind of outward manifestation of the difference between care for creation and care for myself. That and in fact, the hope he's calling for, insofar as it's integrated, seems to me is, is meant to be a public virtue that, if it's shared, will open up a vista of creative capacity, which is never reductionist. It allows us to engage the world, one another, God, our home, our family, our community, and everything around us with a sense of its interrelatability. 
Is that what hope does to us? Does it create this kind of vigorous interrelatability that makes us creative? Oh, I, I like to think so. I, I mean, I think it's actually self-evident. I think it does that. You're really, you know, it's like we're kind of clicking on something here where there's a whole world behind it. Just what is hope, Michael? I mean, hope is not optimism. They're different. They're different species. Hope is uglier and messier, but it's also uh, more vital. And, you know, if you're speaking as a theologian, which I guess I put my theologian's hat on, hope is a theological virtue that's infused, that's given to us, as opposed to other kind of cardinal virtues that we, the just person justices, you know, you get the virtues by doing it. Now, you know, you can live hopefully, you kind of fake it till you make it. But there is something mysterious about hope that you're mentioning. And hope is also always, always linked, especially if you're mystically minded, but you don't need to be. It's always linked to memory. So when you're really cooking on all cylinders and you feel kind of like that you're rooted on earth and you're spiritually alive, you'll have the unity of, of memory. Your memory, it will invigorate you to live in hope. I think that's what's happening with, with this infusion part. So that sounds a little wonky or a little technical, but I think most people know when they feel it, when you really have your memory linked to the moment and then you think about what can be done creatively and in the imagination, that's what we're calling, that's what hope could be. It's different than optimism. So with a really complex set of problems like this, the more we kind of contemplate and stop and meditate, pray, whatever your approach is, and then to be in community with people to talk about it, I think that's where we open the door, our hearts and our spirits to what Pope Francis is trying to do. So, you know, I just begin with that. Well, let's get into this discussion then, as I think you are really moving us thoughtfully toward a kind of integrated ecology. All the aspects or features you just identified, how hope shows up, the strength of our shared humanity, the strength of even perception of how we're going to choose to live our lives individually and collectively in the next 10, 20, 30 years is it must somehow be situated in this kind of integrated ecology of well-being that Pope Francis is speaking to, and I know you have tremendous thoughts on. Let's have that conversation. Yeah. He wants to have all the resources be available for us in a relational way. You know, just if you look at the structure of his encyclical, what does it mean to have an integrated theology or, you know, or in, he'll say integral ecology, but it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Well, he's going to invite the best scientists in the room. He has the Pontifical Academy for Sciences, over 80 members who are the best in their field to do the science for him. He's going to have the best ethical resources and theological resources. So when you, you can see if you're sitting in their room and they're chewing on their pencil, like, what's this thing going to look like? Well, and then Pope Francis himself, he's citing all kinds of poets and literary people in his text. So that's what an integral ecology is, right? And he's referring to... It is a crisis, cannot be solved in these siloed, old-timey, specialist ways. So no one's going to respond to that, first of all. And then there's not going to be any efficacy in that because it's a limited deal. If ever there was an interdisciplinary problem or a problem that could utilize that buzzword of community and then academic interdisciplinarity, the climate crisis is it. It needs all the tools in the toolbox. So it really is a, a low-hanging fruit in many ways for Francis to say everything is interconnected or to say, look, let us all contemplate and consider and practice an integral approach to ecology and theology. And I wonder if this whole discourse on eco-theology is assuming something, you know, the person, who, the layperson who hears that may think first, 
well, we're talking about the environment again. I think my sense is that ecotheology is much more comprehensive than a particular context of the environment, but is inclusive, as we've noted before, of all of our, just our volition and our being in the world. What is ecotheology that you're studying and, and bringing to bear? What ecotheology is for me, as a, and I'm a very conventional Catholic in lots of ways, it's a kind of sacramental theology. That's a good starting point for a lot of Catholics who speak that language, or indeed other Christians or people who believe in the, the beauty of the created world as a way into spirituality. And by sacramental theology, for those who don't aspire from any of these communities, how would you describe that to them? Sacramental theology is a central theology of Catholic Christianity. It really wants to understand creation as good, as you know, the, the, that we get to with the mind, the heart of God, that, that the finite goes somewhere. We're not just spiritualized beings abstracted from our head up, like Descartes might say, like some kind of like brain pod. We're embodied, we're physical. And so when you're sacramental, there's a local expression of your being, you know, your physicality or your culture. And that local being, that local physicality, that finitude, it connects transcendentally to that cosmic, infinite, undescribable theological aspect of you know, God. You know, So you have a local, you have a universal. That's why like uh, all the sacraments in the Catholic Church are really important. They're local ritualistic, which is another part of this. Ritual is so important. Mm-hmm. But they're local celebrations, prayers, actions that we take that are physical, but they touch something infinite and mysteriously not present in the same way as a wafer, a communion host, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, something like that. But sacramentality is really important in a lot of traditions. Is there something prophetic about Laudato Si that we need to make sure the listener doesn't lose sight of and will encourage them to go and read this document? Yes, I think that there is. There's several things. I think I mentioned, I like how he, the Pope cites all kinds of poets and writers. I, I have a literary background, so I think, thank you. But what he's really looking at outside of, it's connected, obviously, is his wariness about the technocratic paradigm being kind of a catch-all, solve-all problems approach. And he spends a lot of time in that document saluting and being grateful for what digital technology has done for the world. But he's also kind of wagging a finger in a way to say, look out. Because if you think about it, I think it's 108 maybe in the document, is that that digital technology, while innovative, is not a neutral technology. A lot of times, you know, tools are neutral. But there's something with the digital aspect that really pulls us into a a web, like the Matrix, maybe. But if you see that film, The Social Dilemma, Mm -hmm. and that we're looped into this weird thing, especially young people, or examine your own screen culture, that you're in this dopamine loop. And this kind of loop stretches you out of your immediate proximal relationships. And that has very deleterious possible outcomes for relationships and caring for our common home. So I would just point the listeners to looking at the Pope on the technocratic paradigm and really a version of humanism that I think would be really interesting for listeners to think about. I think there's lots of transhumanism that's really strong. And then there's types of it that are very kind of, you know, dystopian, scary. And so the Pope is really opening up a transhumanist discourse in this document. And most folks folks don't talk about that. And I think it's a very kind of innovative move he's made.
You've been listening to the Religica Theolab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. To learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities, visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center.